This is The Double Shift, the show about a new generation of working mothers. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. Every mother works, and this podcast is about our stories. It's not about parenting or kids. It's about us and challenging the world we live in today. After you give birth, it can feel like all of the focus, medically and socially, goes to the baby. Around one in five women is affected by postpartum depression. Pelvic floor problems and childbirth injuries are super common and often go untreated. We go to the OBGYN once, six weeks after giving birth, and then it feels like the medical establishment washes its hands of us. In a world that so ignores our basic health care, it can be even harder to think about what our emotional needs are and what actual pleasure can feel like. It's often on a very distant back burner and might be the hardest thing of all to talk about. I don't know if the Muslims are ready for me and my bag of dildos. That's Angelica Lindsay Ali, leading a workshop for women. For her day job, she's a nonprofit program director working in HIV prevention and case management. Outside of the office, she's better known as the village auntie. Angelica is a 43-year-old mother of four in Phoenix, Arizona. She's black and a practicing Muslim and a certified sexual health educator. For years, she's been a kind of informal go-to woman for people to ask all kinds of questions, no matter how personal or uncomfortable they might be. So an auntie in Black culture is a revered position. Certainly not only Black culture, but I'm only speaking from my experience. Your auntie is someone that, she's like your second mother. Uh, Your auntie may not have children of her own, but an auntie, in my mind, is someone who has a deep-seated well of knowledge, and she's someone that you're able to communicate with without the constraints of communicating with a parent and without the lapses in judgment that might come with communicating with a peer. She sort of occupies a middle ground. And in traditional societies, there was always a woman or women in the community, and she was the person that you would send your daughter to when she starts her menstrual cycle. She's the woman that brides go to in the months leading up to her marriage. Uh, You go to her after you have a baby, when you enter menopause. She's sort of the person who can provide that traditional medicine, but also counseling and support. And so I picked the name Village Auntie because it's descriptive for the service that I think that I provide. That service Angelica provides includes workshops for women to feel empowered personally and sexually. And her interest in this work is actually very tied to her faith. Angelica was raised Christian, but converted to Islam as a young adult. I think Islam gave me a sense of freedom that I didn't find in the church. It didn't seem, and that when I say that to people, they're surprised because Islam seems to be a very restrictive religion. But I liked the fact that uh, women had a lot of ownership over their bodies in terms of dress, in terms of behavior, in terms of, you know, we don't have to take our husband's name when we get married. And Islam places a large um, emphasis on education and knowledge. The thing I think that was the final linchpin that sort of said, okay, this is a religion for you, was that I discovered that Islam was a very sex-positive religion in that there is a high priority on every part of human life, and Islam recognizes that sexuality is a part of human life. 
And this idea of a sex-positive religion is surprising to a lot of people. So not growing up Muslim was a protective factor for me because I think that a lot of times people put their culture they insert their culture into the religion. So I have a lot of friends who were born and raised Muslim, and they're afraid to talk about sex. They're afraid to look at their bodies. They panic. They don't know what they're going to do on the wedding night because the focus is placed on how Islam is lived culturally, not what Islam actually says. And since I came into Islam as an adult, I was 23 when I converted. I was able to read on my own. I was able to research on my own. I was able to sort of develop my own personal Islamic culture. And it was rooted in actually reading texts, actually reading Quran. And so I think that helped a great deal because I wasn't bogged down by the cultural taboos that I think plague a lot of Muslims nowadays. I think that description of uh, separating culture and religion is super interesting. And I was, I'd love to hear, what are some of the particular challenges in talking about these topics of sex and sexuality in Muslim communities and communities of color? I remember being told by, it was an African-American woman, and she was heavily integrated into West African culture, Senegalese culture. And I remember her telling me, you have to make sure your husband is really pleased. You have to give him sex whenever he wants because you don't want him to go out and get another wife. But you can't talk about sex and you can't be too open and you can't look too easy, but you also have to please him. So there's this whole dichotomous approach to sex and sexuality. You have to be this sex kitten who can, you know, swing from chandeliers, but you also have to be this very prim and proper modest Muslim woman. And I think that is what happens in a lot of Muslim communities because we take modesty and confuse it with shame. And that that is a separation that needs to take place. We need to separate shame and modesty because there's there are two totally different things, two totally different states of being. Uh, I think that shame plays a huge role in conversations that we have about sex. I get pushback from some Muslims who say I shouldn't talk about this in public spaces. I should leave this for private conversations or one-on-one. And I just think that that's something that has put us in the position that we are right now because Islam is not as prudish as people make it out to be. There's a perspective that says that a woman has a right to reach orgasm when she has sexual intercourse. Like it's not complete unless the woman reaches orgasm and that a man has the obligation to fulfill his wife sexually, even if it's multiple times per day. Angelica is all about sexual education and empowerment, but she herself knows that feeling sexually empowered is much easier said than done, especially when you're a mom. (laughs) Motherhood for me, for my first two children, it actually caused a significant decrease in libido for me. So all all four of my children um, were all natural vaginal births. They were unmedicated births. My first child was an unassisted home birth. It was not planned that way. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, it was not planned that way. Nine pounds. um, Yeah, it was. Yeah, 
that's a story for another day. Um, and then when I had my second child, so with my first child, I experienced a third degree tear. So I tore pretty deeply. I had to get 36 stitches. With my second child, because I tore with the first child, I had to get more stitches with the second child, internal and external stitches. And for a long time, it affected how I looked at my body. I felt as if I was broken. Sex was very painful. And I wasn't really in the mindset of of having sex because orgasms are extremely mental. Sexual stimulation is, is a mental exercise. It has something to do with the physical, but for me and for a lot of women, for a lot of people, it's very mental. So if there was a span of about five years where I just was in a daze. I was just a zombie. I was having sex, but it wasn't good sex. I didn't like my body. I didn't like to look at my body. And then when I got pregnant with my third child, Things got better, but it wasn't until I got pregnant with my fourth child, I had finally come to a point, I was almost 40, I had finally come to a point where I said, you know what, Angelica, this is your body, you better love it or leave it, and I made the choice to love my body, and when I did that, everything sort of shifted for me. I, I I loved my body. I loved being pregnant. Sex while I was pregnant was amazing. It was as if everything just blossomed and bloomed. And I remember having a conversation with one of my village aunties because I have I have my core group of women that I go to. And she said, she said, Angelica, you're about to be 40. You're going to enter a whole new phase of your life where everything, you're going to see everything in technicolor. You're going to see everything in a way that you haven't seen before. You just have to be open to it. And once I was able to look at it like that, that this is a new phase in my life, this is a new body that I have, it just opened me up a lot more sexually. And that's when I really started to dive down really deeply into this work. And around the time things started shifting for Angelica personally, she started doing public workshops. After years of doing this work informally by word of mouth and in private homes, the village auntie got her public debut at the 2018 Black Muslim Psychology Conference. So we get to the conference. I'm super nervous. I have a lot of anxiety. I'm up the night before. I can't sleep. And I pray before I, I start the workshop. The work, It's full. There are like 60 women in there. There are elders, there are some teenagers. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I just, I say, Angelica, what would Dora Jackson do? Dora Jackson is my mother. And I'm like, Dora Jackson would just rip the Band-Aid off. So I walked into the room, I took out my rainbow colored dildos and I put them on the podium. After I finished and I was literally swarmed by all of these women who wanted to talk to me. Some of them were afraid to ask a question um, during the session because, you know, the modesty, the shame, the privacy. But I spent the rest of my time, the, the, the next day and a half at the conference, every day, multiple people would stop me. Since then, she's been putting her work out on social media and teaching in many different settings across the country to Muslim and non-Muslim women. Spaces that I teach in, if there are windows, we cover them with paper or fabric. I, I make explicit instructions. Any venue that I'm in, no men are allowed to enter or exit. Like everything is woman run, woman focused. 
and it's like that so that I can preserve their privacy. The difference now is that I'll advertise it and I'll say, hey, I'm doing this workshop or do you want to learn about how to, the best sex position when you're pregnant? And before I wouldn't have announced that I'm doing it, it would just sort of spread by word of mouth. I would get phone calls in the middle of the night from women in Malaysia or a woman in Brazil. I, I don't know how they got my phone number. I don't know how they got my email address, sister, I need your help. So the word would spread from person to person. Now, because I'm doing the work out in the public, I can put a link up and say, you can register for the class or if you want a one-on-one session. So that's the biggest difference is that I'm just letting people know that, hey, I'm here and I'm available as a resource. Angelica doesn't see her work as purely informational. She sees it as having transformational powers. Oh, sexual sex is some of the best self-care you can get because you can have sex by yourself. <laughs> you can have sex with a partner. I think when, when sex becomes compartmentalized into something that serves a purpose in terms of functionality, so we have sex so we can have children so that we can populate the earth, or I have sex. Sex is currency in relationships in some some cases. You know, I'm going to have sex with my husband so that he doesn't complain that I spent $200 at Sephora. Or I'm going to, I'm tired, but I'm going to have sex with my husband because I don't want to hear his mouth the next day when he complains. When we look at sex as an obligation, it takes away the self-care aspect. When we look at sex as a chance to release, when we look at it as a great stress reliever, it's great for appetite reduction. It's the best sleep medicine you can get. That's free. It should be free. But <laughs> um, sex sex is, is really tied to self-care because I think sex is an important part of daily human life. And that's not to say that you have to have sex daily, but I am a strong proponent of doing something sexual daily, something sexual on a daily basis, because it serves a biological purpose. It serves a physiological purpose, and it helps to bolster our sense of mental well-being. Sex is, sex is probably one of the spaces where you can have both a physical and mental release at the exact same time. What do you think are some of the societal demands on moms, in particular working moms, that make it hard for us to think about self-care? I think working moms are expected to be superheroes. We're expected to have it all together. And there's a lot of guilt that gets put on working moms, especially within the Muslim community. If you are a working mother, in some spaces, you're almost shunned or you're almost looked at as being less than a woman, not as good of a mom because you're focusing on your career or your education. Uh, And I think in the rush to try to meet everyone's expectations and to have our own image as mothers validated, we put ourselves on the back burner. So, and I used to do that. I would make sure that my children left the house. You know, black people love putting shea butter and cocoa butter on the kids' face. The face not ashy. Make sure the elbows and feet and knees are taken care of. Make sure the hair is done. Their clothes are clean. Their lunches are made and the crusts are cut off the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And then I would drag myself to work and whatever I could pick up off the floor because I was too lazy or too tired and exhausted to fold up clothes throw on whatever hijab that I had that didn't have baby spittle all over the front of it and just managed to eat crackers and tuna at my desk at work because I'm up against a deadline. So I think that we don't put enough emphasis on women 
taking care of self and how that is important for community resilience. Self care. I used to think self care was selfish. I used to think going to get a pedicure or a facial or going out with my girlfriends for lunch because I need just some time away from the kids. I used to think that was selfish and that made me a bad mom because I think that's the message that is sent in mainstream spaces. It's sent in religious spaces. But the reality is if I don't have some time away from the children sometimes, if I don't have some time to reset, I am not myself. Then I'm not a good mother because I am I am frustrated, I'm tired, and it's not selfish to do that. It's a matter of mental survival. I think that's why a lot of postpartum depression goes undiagnosed. I know that's why mine went undiagnosed for so long. And I think that that's what causes a lot of marital strife after people have babies. It leads to children. Because children, one thing I, I didn't realize until very recently, like in the last six months recently, is that children see absolutely everything. They see everything. And I had to look at what I was modeling for my children. What am I modeling for my girls? Am I teaching my girls that they have to be super women? Or am I teaching them that they have to be human beings who take care of themselves? And that's what changed it for me. Mothers need to be talked about as whole people. Angelica believes taking care of all parts of yourself, including your sexual self, is crucial. And it has the added benefit that it can make you a better mom. Because if your basic human needs are satisfied, you have more to give to others. It really has to start with self, because if we're not okay with ourselves, if we don't know what we like, and that changes. After you have a baby, your sexual needs and sexual desires can change. They absolutely, every, everything is different. Everything about your body, everything about your psyche is different. So what I like to do is take women back to a reset. Where are you now? What do you like? What are the sensual needs that you have? And when we focus on that, it makes it a lot easier to get to the sexual desires. I think that's so interesting because a lot of times when we hear about self-care, it's honestly really usually just about what we need to spend money on for ourselves. And not like what is the mental or physical or emotional experience of self-care. So it sounds like your work is really, it's not about you need to go, you know, buy new beauty products or you need to go get a massage. It's really about like how you can experience your sensuality in a new way. Absolutely. And, you know... I'll use myself as an example. And and this does take money because, you know, you have to pay for internet usage, what have you. I love the sound of the rain. I don't know if it's because I'm from the Midwest and Detroit is rainy a lot and it's gloomy, but I love, I'm, I guess what you call a pluviophile. I love the sound of the rain. It calms me. It puts me in a, a certain mood. It relaxes me. And one of the things that I've started doing is I have a YouTube playlist that is literally 24 hours of gentle rain sounds. That's all it is. And when I feel like that's the only thing that I can do for self-care, I will turn it on before I go to sleep. And I've been doing, I 
done an experiment on myself. For the last 30 days, I go to sleep to my Rain Sounds playlist. And it just, as soon as I look, I, I look forward to going home and turning on the sound of the rain. And everybody in my household thinks I'm completely insane because I do this. But that is my one simple, easy form of self-care that I can do. And nobody else has to understand it because it's not for anybody else. It's only for me. So yeah, I think I think there's a lot of pressure on what you can buy. And oh, I went to a new facialist. I got Botox. I got this new pair of shoes. And it's really, self-care is a lot simpler than that. Right. Yeah. And it's a lot more, well, it, it, but in some ways it's more complicated too, because it's, it's both simpler and more complicated because it's about how, really how you feel and not about what sort of like those quick fix of like a, a shopping high or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It takes a lot more self-introspection. Now let's take a break so I can introduce you to another podcast I think you'll love. It's all about women rising up. It's called Inflection Point with Lauren Schiller. This season, Lauren introduces you to radical people who are transforming the systems as we know them. From legendary activists like Gloria Steinem and Eve Ensler, to policymakers promoting family leave and guaranteed income, to tech entrepreneurs ending sexual harassment, you'll hear honest, powerful stories of how change gets made and come away with some new ways of responding to problems the world throws at you. To hear how women rise up and to hear how the radicals do it, go to Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, NPR One, Stitcher, or your favorite app, to subscribe to Inflection Point with Lauren Schiller. Now, let's hear from our sponsor, Warby Parker. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal, to create boutique-quality eyewear at a revolutionary price. I just ordered my first pair of Warby Parkers. The choices were great, and I settled on my favorite with their home try-on program. I could try them all on when I had a free moment, and I got my husband to weigh in on each choice. This was so much more convenient than finding a time to schlep to the glasses store and asking a random salesperson which pair looked best. And for every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need. You too can use their free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses and try them on for five days. There's no obligation to buy. It ships free and they include a prepaid return shipping label. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. Blue light filtering on the lenses is also now available. Head to warbyparker.com slash doubleshift to order your free home try-ons today. That's warbyparker.com slash doubleshift. Okay, we're back with Angelica Lindsay Ali. We wanted to see the village auntie at work, so we visited one of Angelica's workshops in Phoenix. And this one is all about kunyaza, a Rwandan technique for achieving female ejaculation. Eight women showed up to take the class, and at first, everyone is pretty quiet. Angelica sits on a small stool, and next to her is a basket full of dildos and vaginal models. So while everyone is easing in, Angelica does most of the talking. So kunyaza, female ejaculation, squirting is the colloquial term, is when you experience when a a woman, a cisgender woman, a person who owns a vagina, right, has an expulsion of a clear, watery liquid. 
but (laughs) but that is squirting and um I get people who say well Angelica how can you teach that because you can't make your body do it how can you teach that because it just happens by happenstance Angelica you can't teach it because I'm menopausal and everything down there is dry so how can you tell me that I can squirt and some people will say it's very complex so it is absolutely possible you absolutely can control it and here's the kicker it's super easy and the the part is that so so the the thing the thing with it being easy is once you start to do it it's sort of like um Anybody remember the first time you learned how to snap your fingers? Right? I remember the first time I learned how to snap my fingers. I was five years old. And I just, you can tell me I was, right? And I can't remember ever not knowing how to snap my fingers, right? Kunyaza is something that can become like second nature. And I'm also going to teach you a couple of techniques that you can teach your partner that your partner can use if your partner has a penis, if your partner has a dildo, I'm going to teach you how to do that, okay? Now, I always say this when I start, we will be doing sex positioning, okay? So I trust I trust all of you. Nobody's going to take pictures of me humping the pillow. I promise I won't hump. Um, <laughs> but some of it, I'm, I'm, this is, in, right, this is interactive. So some of you, I'm going to ask you to actually demonstrate because I need to know that you can do this because I'm not going to be there with you. <laughs> I, I would say I would love to, but I actually would not love to. So yes, this workshop is about sex and sexual techniques, but it's also about encouraging women and mothers to experience pleasure and actually thinking about pleasure as a form of self-care. Now, Angelica's work is about spreading this idea to other women, like the ones at this workshop. 40-year-old Walanda Williams is a mother to a four-year-old daughter. She finds the concept of the village auntie really helpful. The women... I would say like mothers, the mother figures in my life, I don't necessarily feel like they were closed off. I think the generation before them may have been. And so the knowledge that they passed to me was about biology, was about, you know, how to be neat, (laughs) you know, but it wasn't about how to be empowered, how to enjoy your sexual experience. Talima Flores is a 37-year-old mom of three and also finds these open discussions helpful. I didn't feel comfortable with my body in and of itself, like the way that it looked, um, just because of all of the extra skin and the C-section marks and all of that. But I've always been a big fan of my own sexuality, so I never really let that body image hold me back. But it is something that, you know, I feel like I need to work on. And this has helped me with, like, positive body image, you know, positive sex, you know, participation, engagement. But I think that... As a so-called woman of color, you should definitely open up, you know, and really learn about your sexuality, learn about your body, what feels good to you, what does not feel good to you. And in that, you'll be able to voice more and, and speak up more for yourself in those negotiations, whether they be sexual or not, you know. Angelica also knows that getting in touch with your own sense of sexual pleasure can be very complicated, beyond just postpartum issues. 
because a lot of women have also experienced sexual trauma and violence. It's very personal for me because I was I was sexually assaulted when I was not long after I accepted Islam. And it was, you know, the person who assaulted me, he called himself a Muslim. I didn't meet him in any religious spaces. He just happened to be a Muslim. And that experience could have set me down a completely different path. And instead of shutting down or removing myself from religious spaces or shunning Islam, it made me lean in and dig deeper to find out exactly what rights do I have over my body? Because I think anyone who's in a situation like that feels like they don't have ownership of their bodies. And I think that that is something that is shared collectively, especially by Black women, just because of our history in this country with slavery, um, with various experimentations that have happened through official formats like the Tuskegee experiment, different birth control experiments. There's a lot of sexual trauma that we carry. On the flip side, we are hypersexualized in the media. The image that we have of Black women is we're loud, we're angry, and we like to have a lot of sex and twerk a lot, right? So what I do is I reclaim those spaces and reclaim those activities and put a positive spin on them. So we have a whole class that we do that's called twerking and self-care. And when you get a bunch of Muslim women in a room and you turn music on and you try to teach them how to twerk, it is very difficult. It's like wrangling cats and putting them in a pillowcase. They don't want to do it. They're shut down. But when we talk about the roots of the movement, when we talk about loving ourselves and celebrating our bodies, and this is a safe space, they begin to open up. So dealing with those hangups is important because if we don't get past those mental blocks and mental barriers, it doesn't make any sense to teach them any sex techniques because the sex is not going to be good because the mind doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel grounded. And I, I focus this work on black women because the black community is extremely conservative when it comes to sex. It goes completely against the mainstream stereotype of our community. But in our households, we're not talking about sex. We don't have the birds and the bees talks. We have the don't get pregnant talks. We are a very religious people, very spiritually grounded, and we put a lot of oppressive sentiment on sexuality. And we do that as a way to protect ourselves because it's combating the notion that we're overly sexualized. So then we become underinformed about our sexuality. And my goal is to open women up to the idea that being sexy, owning your sexiness, enjoying sex is not something that's wrong. It's something that's natural. It's something that is your right. And you can celebrate your body and you should celebrate your body without fear of someone looking down on you because of it. But there are a lot of people who find this very uncomfortable. Some even find Angelica's work threatening. So I actually had one brother tell me, he's like, sis, I love what you're doing. This is great. But I'm just worried because my wife might come home and realize that, you know, I haven't been I haven't been putting it down like I need to. I haven't been fulfilling her the way that I need to. I think that people are afraid that the information that I give to empower women might allow them to actually seek their rights. And that is that is frightening for people. So 
What's so interesting about the way you're talking about this is that it's not just uh, it's sort of disruptive that if women assert their rights sexually, then that changes a marriage. But is there a larger message there that if women assert their rights and are empowered in other ways, that disrupts other things, too? Absolutely. So tell me more about that. (laughs) So I always tell people sex is just the hook. Right. That that's how I get people. You you know, if you put a banana covered with cream on my Instagram page and talk about orgasms being unique, that might make people click follow. But when I get them into a workshop, when I get them into a retreat, I'm really talking to them about emotional wellness, about mental balance, about their power, their sacred power as women. And that is frightening to a lot of people. If if people really understood the things that I actually, if men, and not all men, I, I have to say from the very beginning, there have been men, and to this day, there are men who are instrumental in the work that I do, extremely supportive. But I think if some of the people knew what I actually teach women, which is empowerment on all levels, not just in the bedroom, they will really be frightened because I think an awakened woman is a powerful woman and women have the power to shake up society in a way that is off-putting to a lot of people, even other women. So I, I definitely think disrupting bedroom spaces or disrupting sexual spaces for me is really just a gateway to disrupting all spaces where women find themselves marginalized. You're speaking my language. You're speaking (laughs) the language of the double shift. (laughs) Talking about a woman's right to articulate her needs, about postpartum bodies and mothers as sexual beings about women asserting themselves outside of the bedroom. For a lot of people, this is still considered radical, which is exactly why we need more village aunties, challenging stereotypes and breaking silence with empowerment, education, and a bag full of rainbow dildos. And as Angelica starts to take her village auntie work on the road, she's ready for whatever the world might think of her. And now I totally troll TSA because I always somehow get randomly selected for these random screenings. But I love I have a little blue bag that I keep all of my dildos in. And I love the look on their faces when they see it go through the x-ray machine. (laughs) I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for one day for a TSA agent to say, ma'am, can I open your bag and check what's inside? And that is going to be the day that my life is realized in full. <laughs> I want them to see this Muslim woman with a bag of rainbow dildos. I, I hope to be able to record it for posterity. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode with Angelica, consider becoming a member of The Double Shift. This week, members are getting bonus content, including the fascinating story of Angelica's conversion to Islam. Then she and I discuss her ideas around sexual negotiation, like some concrete examples of how to have conversations about sex with your partner. And then she and I also talk about how these negotiation ideas can influence all aspects of your life, not just sex. It's some really interesting stuff that I had never thought about, and you're going to want to hear this. Becoming a member costs $5 a month and really supports all that goes into making this show. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. That's thedoubleshift.com slash join. 
Our executive producer is Sarah Ventry. Our editorial advisor is Amy Westervelt. Our editor is Rachel McCarthy. Production assistance from Asal Asanipur and Piper Payne at Nito Mastering. Special thanks to the Southern Documentary Fund. Our music is by Travis Morrison. Our theme song is by Palehound. And we're part of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. This show is made possible in part through the generous support of the Ford Foundation. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. Thanks for joining The Double Shift. Double Shift.